the temple. It is impossible to overemphasize how shocking this story is of Jesus in the temple. The temple was not just a replacement for a church. It was much more than that. In our language, the temple was the national gathering place. It was the national cathedral, if you like. It was the federal parliament. It was the high court. It was the national gallery. It was the national library, the reserve bank. It was the stock exchange. It was the ABC and SBS. All of that rolled into one. The temple was everything. doesn't mean as much to us as it did to the Americans, but on January the 20, in January 21, on the 6th of January, when people stormed the Capitol building, it was a shocking moment in that bastion of democracy, at least in legend and not always in practice, but that was just a shocking Disruption, a kind of breaking of something that should never be broken. That's exactly what's going on in the temple. And it continues to reverberate the whole story. The temple, you see, had a brilliant system. It had everything worked out. Sacrifices had to be made. That's how you became uh, a good and compliant Jewish person, a good Hebrew, was you made sacrifice. And if you could, you would go to the temple at least once in your lifetime, maybe more often if you could afford to. And in order to make a sacrifice, you needed an animal without any blemishes, without any faults. And in order to get one of those animals, it was much easier if you could do that on site, rather than hope that the animal you brought with you would remain unblemished until the moment of sacrifice, when it would be inspected by the priests. If you could get an animal right on the moment before you made the sacrifice, it could be guaranteed to be already unblemished and it would have already been looked over by the priests. It's a perfectly good system. But of course, to buy them, you had to have money but the problem was in the temple, you couldn't use the money that you ordinarily use because it had a, a picture of the Roman emperor on it. And it said on it that Caesar was God. And that's never going to work for a Hebrew, for a Jew. It, God is God. So you had to change your money into different money that you could then spend on buying a sacrifice animal. And it worked fine. It was a bit unfortunate that people had sort of started to creep and, and it started to be more expensive to buy an animal and more expensive to change the money and people were making a lot of money out of this whole process. And in fact in the other three Gospels Jesus seems to criticise the fact that they, had, they were ripping people off in a moment when they could, this was the only way people could make sacrifice was to buy the animal and to change the money in order to do so, but people were being ripped off in the process. That's a critique of the whole way it was being done. It needed to be reformed according to Jesus. It's not unlike the current um, stories we are hearing about Coles and Woolworths. If it's a closed system, then those people can do whatever they like. And we're beginning to wonder whether maybe they are doing whatever they like and maybe they are getting excess profits instead of serving people. So it's an undercurrent. And that's what Jesus seems to be critiquing. 
But in John's Gospel, because it happens right at the beginning of the story of Jesus, we read it quite differently. Jesus doesn't seem to be saying, you need to reform the system. Jesus seems to be saying, we need to be doing away with the system. He's rejecting the whole system. He says, stop making my father's house a marketplace. In other words, there is no place for any of this. The system is blocking people's access to what they should be doing, which is engaging with God. In fact, it's literally doing it because the, where this took place was in what's called the court of the Gentiles. It was the only place where non-Jews could come and worship God. And it was full up with tables full of uh, sacrifice animals and full of money changers. So it was literally blocking for a whole everybody other than Jews. One way we can, let's just put that aside now. So that's John, John's Jesus seems to be critiquing the whole thing, saying it's all to be done away with, which is shocking. It would be like saying we need to do away with all the things that we have built up to make our society work. The High Court, the National Library, the Federal Parliament and so on. John's whole gospel seems to be a retelling of the Genesis story of how the world became what it is. Both Genesis and John's gospel begin with these words, in the beginning. And both then spell out a cosmic story. Genesis talks about the seven days of creation in the first creation story. John's Gospel has what we call the prologue. It tells us how the world came into being in John's language. And then both Genesis and John go on to talk about people. Genesis says, has God saying, let us make human beings in our own image according to our likeness. And John's Gospel, right at that moment, there's the call of the disciples, the bringing together of people to make them part of Jesus' community. In, in other words, to make them wholly human. And both have visions of perfection, the way the world is supposed to be. Genesis has the Garden of Eden, the place where God walks in the cool of the evening, which is the most beautiful image, strolling through the garden in the cool of the evening. In John's Gospel, we have Jesus turning water into wine, a wedding that seems to be going off the rails, suddenly has an enormous amount of not only wine, but the best quality wine. There's so much to go around that it's, it's an embarrassment of riches. This is the way the world is supposed to be, full of goodness, full of abundance. And then it all goes wrong. In Genesis, the human beings break the bond between themselves and the God who walks in the garden in the cool of the evening. And they're lost. Where are you? God says. I heard the sound of you in the garden. Where are you? God says. And then the human being says, the man says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. human dilemma in one sentence I was naked, I recognised my nakedness and my vulnerability and I was frightened and I hid myself in John the humans have built an entire religious structure in order to make sense of how to deal with God 
they cover themselves in ritual and in practice and in sacrifice and in this enormous edifice, one of the largest buildings known to human beings to that point in history. And Jesus says, get everything out. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. And then he says, then John's Gospel says, he was speaking of his temple, of his body as the temple. He was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus is moving the locus of how you possibly connect to the divine away from this enormous structure and all this ritual to the human being. You, you, I, we are the temple of God. Paul says in Corinthians and in other places, we are. Not all of this, we are. We are. God lives in us, is what Paul tells us. God loves the garden and walks in it in the cool of the evening and the people are frightened and hide themselves. The human beings build this enormous structure, all this ritual, all this paraphernalia. And Jesus says, it's about the human body. It's about me and you. If we're going to have any interaction at all with what we call God or the divine or the whole meaning of the universe, it's not going to be in a building. It's going to be in me, Jesus says. In the God-filled, spirit-animated creation of God, a human being. And Jesus wasn't the only one who was calling this out all the way through the Hebrew Scriptures. And this is why the, it says at the end of the reading, suddenly it made sense to them after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And they read back in their minds into the Scriptures, Jeremiah who called out the people and said, you're doing all the sacrifice, but you're ignoring the widow, the orphan and the alien. Isaiah saying, I in the words of God, I hate your burnt offerings because you are refusing to be human beings to each other. Amos, Micah, Hosea says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is why in the very next verse to this story, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, a good rabbi, a good holy man, comes to Jesus and begins, as you're supposed to begin, with criteria, with uh, qualifications, with fitting where, seeing where people fit into the scheme of things. Jesus says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. How do we know that? Because no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with that person. Nicodemus is orthodox. He's a good Jew and he ticks all the right boxes. But if you remember the story, Jesus doesn't respond at all to Nicodemus. He is, almost cuts him off at that point and says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born anew. You only meet God when you are as you were in the moment of your birth, naked and vulnerable. And no one wants to hear that. That's why Lent is such a hard season to live with. Because we're confronted again with our naked vulnerability. It's just all we ever were. 
all we ever will be, at the moment of our birth, right through to the moment of our death. Jesus says in many places in the Gospels, unless you become like a child, you'll never see this. It will be right there, but you won't see it. That's why Jesus drives all of this out. Not because it needs reforming, which is one way of reading the way that the other Gospels have it, but because it needs abolishing, because it gets between us and a direct, unmediated relationship with divinity, with God. That's the frighteningness of this, the frighteningness of this story, not just to Jews, but to all of us that we're being called to be immediately, without any pretense, without any learning, without any money, without any accolades, without any clothes of any sort. Us and God.